Hey Firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. Alright, I have been thinking a lot about art. It's been very present in my heart. I don't know if this is something you've noticed before, but you can't spell heart without art. Huh? Here's the other thing. You can't spell Firecracker Department without art. Yeah. So I'm really trying to infuse more art into my life on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the things I've done is on my Instagram feed, I'm starting to follow more and more visual artists. So now when I look through the feed, it's almost like having a mini art gallery in the palm of my hand and I love it. I love sharing these artists with other people. I love supporting what they are creating and I just find it super inspiring. If you wanna go check it out, it's on Instagram, at Sneakers. And I also post a couple of my own pieces of art because since the pandemic and also since our very first Artists Way group three years ago, I started doing collaging. And I've always kind of been interested in that, but I never really thought it was really art for some reason. I thought it was more of like a, I don't know, like a school project, but I love it. I love getting inspired by something that somebody says, then I put it into a collage or if somebody needs like a, a nudge of support from me. I'll throw a collage their way. Anyway, so that's been my art in the last couple of years. And then I'll do a little sewing. I'll do things that hopefully take me off my computer because uh, that's something I'm trying to do is once a week, Saturdays, the firecracker department team, we all know Saturdays, I don't really answer emails unless it's 911 important. I try to stay off my computer. So what do you do that is creative and keeping your art juices flowing. Are you a musician? Are you a visual artist? Are you an ice sculpturist? I mean, I would love to see any and all art that you're creating. Throw it my way at firecrackerdept or send me an email, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com and share your creativity with me. I would love to see it. And I have to tell you, I'm always inspired when I see what one person's passion ignites to. Speaking of which, I mean, this is just a preempt because I'm going to talk about it further, but I just shot a little short film with my beautiful buddies, Lisa Berry and Natalie Brown this past weekend. And that is the perfect example of two people coming together, saying yes to each other. Lisa and Natalie were just like, no, we want to do this. We've got the energy. We've got support of great crew members. Oh my gosh, the crew was extraordinary. And then they just moved forward. So what would you do if you were given the permission to move forward? And what's holding you back? And how do you take that thing that's holding you back and like put it in the garburetor or put it under your bed and forget about it or put it on an airplane and send it off? How do you move forward with your dreams so that you can create? I'm just so inspired by Lisa and Natalie and just so you know, you will know Lisa Berry from Working Moms, from Supernatural, and you'll know Natalie Brown from amazing things like The Strain, Frankie Drake Mysteries, Ransom. They're just extraordinary artists, and they came together and made something really fun. We just had a riot yesterday. So get out there. Go have some fun, everybody. Don't let no stand in your way. Don't let inexperience stand in your way. Just get to it and then share it with me. I'd love to see what you're doing. Okay, our guest this week, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, 
I gotta calm down. It's Chicago-based, award-winning actor, improviser, comedian, improv teacher, extraordinary human being, expert crafter, Susan Messing. Yeah, this was a huge treat for me. I mean, I've wanted to have Susan on the show for a long time, and then Matt and I were visiting her, and I was like, hold on a second, what's stopping us from hanging out for an hour in front of my recording device? and getting an episode together, so we did it. Okay, a little background on Susan Messing and I, is that Matt and I were doing an improv festival in Sweden, and so they asked us if we would mind sharing an Airbnb with two other improvisers from Chicago. And of course, we were like, absolutely. Well, it turned out to be not only Susan Messing, but her improv partner and amazing person, Rachel Mason. So we were like instant friends, and I think, I mean, this isn't any surprise to anybody who knows me, but we bonded big time over snacks. And we would just bring copious amounts of snacks into the Airbnb, and so after a day of teaching improv and then doing improv shows, we would come back and just snack it up. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh, I think we're gonna be friends forever. And thank the little angels that guided Susan messing towards me that that's true. I'm a lucky person. But Susan's not only an amazing improviser, like any time I've been on stage with her, it's almost like that feeling when uh, presents arrive. <laughs> like whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or your birthday, uh, a present arrives and you're like, oh my gosh, you get all tingly. Working with Susan Messing makes me tingly. But she also is one of the biggest hearts ever. And anybody that knows Susan knows this for sure. It was a bit of a journey to get to Chicago. We'd had some stresses along the way with various travel things. And then we got there. But not only was Susan standing on her porch, like cheering our arrival, but then she had made this brunch that was a brunch to end all brunches. Like it had salmon and bagels and sausages and bacon and coffee and tea and mango slices and fruit and just like, what's your favorite thing at brunch? Yeah, she probably had it there. It was just extraordinary and you just walk into Susan's home and you just feel like you walked into love. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that, but it's true. You walk into love and Susan's just an extraordinary human being. I'm so lucky that I get to have her as my friend. And as I said, now her home is my second home, so I'm gonna go home every once in a while and soak some more of that Susan messing in any chance I get. Now Susan is a New Jersey native and a graduate of Northwestern University's Theatre School. She has been an improviser and comedian for over 35 years. Wow, what a body of work she is giving the community. Not just in Chicago, but all over the world. She's an international teacher. Susan is an alumna of Chicago's beloved IO Theatre, Second City's main stage, and did you know that Susan is also a founding member of Chicago's Annoyance Theatre? Yeah, The Annoyance is an extraordinary theater that is run by two of my dear buddies, Nick Napier and Jennifer Eslin. And it deals with absurd and outrageous humor, and if you know Mick and Jen, it's completely in line with that. Yeah, Mick directed one of our Second City shows back in Toronto. They're just another pair of amazing artists. Now, Susan has been named Improviser of the Year at the Chicago Improv Festival, Best Improviser by the Chicago Reader, and Funniest Woman in Chicago by Chicago Magazine, and Best Crafter and Snacker by Naomi Sneakus. Susan, I have to tell you, is deserving of all these accolades and more. Some of her notable performances are with Blaine Swen in Blessing at the I.O., with Norm Hawley in Molly, the critically acclaimed Messing with a Friend, oh my gosh, such a great show at the annoyance 
and with The Boys at the Second City. She was in the lineup for the TBS Just for Laughs Festival all five years of its residence in Chicago. She presented Braving the Unknown at the independently organized TEDx event at the University of Chicago. Now Susan's stand-up act with her puppet Jolly, uh-huh, has been featured at the HBO US Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen on Comedy Central's Premier Blend and NBC's Late Fridays. And her most impressive bit movie role was as a bad stripper in a halo brace, yep, in Let's Go to Prison. So look that sucker up. Susan is not only an amazing performer, she is also a brilliant teacher. She inspires and has inspired so many students internationally. She's created and taught her curriculum at Chicago's I.O., L.A.'s I.O. West, along with the Annoyance Theater, the Second City, and, as I said, around the world. So many students have been lucky enough to be taught by Susan Messing. Also, she was an adjunct instructor for Chicago's Loyola University at DePaul University, the school at Steppenwolf, yeah, and now she teaches at the University of Chicago. Susan's students are... Oh my gosh, so entirely lucky to be touched by a little messing magic. So, without further ado, here is my chat with the one and only, one of my faves, Susan Messing. Do you remember the first time that you owned the room or you owned a stage and you were like, oh, I, I got this? Well, I always used to joke that I was either going to be a, an actor a swimming coach or a hockey goalie. Knowing fully well two and three would not work. But and also he, no crossovers. No. Okay. No. I mean, those are really different subsets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I certainly knew that with my limited acting skills that chances are I might not be able to be an actor either. But at the same time, I knew that I made my friends laugh. Mm -hmm. I knew that my dad was the funniest man I'd ever met. Super dry, mm -hmm. super funny. Mm -hmm. Although my mom said later on his comedy was a little cruel. But he always was a very funny person. And I would say things to dissipate tension uh. at the dinner table mm -hmm. with my dad and my sister. One of my sisters was um, not, at the time, Robin was just not, like, they weren't getting along. Yeah. I mean, it certainly rectified everything. But at the time, they weren't. And I was like, oh, man, if I do like this impression, uh -huh. that might get them going. <laughs> you dissipated the tension. That was your job. I could see myself doing that as the youngest kid, kid of three. Mm -hmm. And my parents going through a divorce and all sorts of, I don't want to say traumatic. I really felt like they should have been divorced. Mm -hmm. And I was almost grateful. But I just knew I had a, I could do something about that. Or mm -hmm. I, I just, yeah. Mm. And... And even in college, I went to Northwestern for theater. I was terrible. I was unintentional comedy. Like, right. if you saw me as, you know, the asp as Cleopatra, you'd be like, no. no. And But then I also realized that unintentional comedy projected in another direction could be intentional comedy. Yeah. So God bless. Yeah. And when I started at a place called IO, or at the time it was Improv Olympic. Um, Chicago. Chicago. Uh, taking classes. I remember watching this work and thinking, I can do this one day. I was getting ripped a new asshole every day by Sharna, but I knew I could do this thing one day. Mm -hmm. So I knew that comedy wasn't the goal. It's the consequence of commitment and recommitment to your choices that sort of pull out comedy. And I knew at the very least I could do that, as opposed to sitting around making funny jokes. Because if you're at Second City, for yeah. example, I would watch the set and recognize that somebody could say something funny and some somebody simply could say something funnier and heighten that. Yeah. 
But for me, that wasn't as satisfying. I mean, I could do that, but that's that for me felt like a meal of Pringles. You could eat an entire meal of Pringles, but then you go, oh, motherfucker, did I just eat a whole what fucking thing done? of Pringles? You yeah. just have the tube left. It's so... And, I, and, and wanna... the evidence of your stupidity and waste of that product <laughs> packaging. It's it, not even food. Who's it, kidding who? It's not, Edible well, it's, oil products. Exactly. Yeah. So, again, I was diving into what I perceived to be edible oil products. Okay. Only to, <laughs> to, to on a buffet yeah. of foods that made you poop well. You know? Got it, got it. I don't think that's Pringles. But wait, did right. you always think uh, art, acting, theater? I thought that, I mean, that's what I studied, and I thought, oh, my dear God, I think I've wasted my parents' money. You know, that kind of feeling. So when I discovered improv, I was like, you mean I don't have to, like, butcher Shakespeare and Ibsen and Chekhov, and I could actually create art yeah. and then leave it? Yeah. And if you love you were having any success as an actor? Like when you went in school where like people go, Oh, no, no, no. My junior and senior year I did get cast. Yeah. Um, but then again, the people who were the most supported in my program were the people who were already great. George Newbern was already great. Harry Lennox was already great. Right. Like Stephen Colbert. He didn't even know what he was gonna do. Not but even familiar. at Northwestern, I thought he was already great. You know, I'll and I had so many friends. Yeah, look him up. Um so I just assumed, you know, if that that if I could actually stay in the room yeah. and I had to take the doggy door, that'd be fine because at least I got to create. And I guess I've yeah. always felt that improv, for me at least, was a sociological study of the human condition, good, bad, and ugly. I say this all the fucking time, so I don't want to bore the people who've actually listened to me more than once. But just, you know, this might be the first time somebody's meeting you, so don't... Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... But it is a sociological study for me. So it yeah. is, uh, for me, it always has felt like art, even when other people kind of thought of it as the bastard cousin of creation. And when I started working with The Annoyance, well, when we created The Annoyance and we were making up shows, musicals, that were improvised until yeah. we simply said it, and I knew it was an incredibly novel way to create and to collaborate and to have somebody, yes, a director like Mick looking at it and... and left braining it later on but looking at something and go oh my god i remember the rehearsal where we just dicked around and then we said it or ellen's song mm -hmm. from uh coed prison sluts which is this insane time stamp or whatever they call it you know five six or something crazy like uh -huh. as opposed to three four you know or something like that i don't and, know numbers I yeah but it's like it. it's like a, like a waltz is one two three one two three so that'd be three four okay thank as you. opposed to four four which is one two three four. i mean there's musicians now. listening to this going yeah we they, get it i've just taught everyone something right. new my job Muzak. is done bye bye um but i remember like ellen's song she improvised it once and then we said it and i listened to that song for over 10 years thinking mm. Holy shit! That every day it was just as brilliant as the first day mm -hmm. that she just fucked around. Right. So, yeah, there's there is a I don't want to say a goal of art. I feel like you're painting, right? Even the way we have to say I have to say what we did yesterday. We did crafts yesterday. Yeah. Naomi, I talk about this craft on Naomi, my Matt, and Bob Fisher and I did crafts, and we. Portrait Laronde. We did the Portrait Laronde. Which I'm coining. I think that's a perfect way I to say a working. Portrait Laronde, in case you didn't know what that is, as the actor goes to it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but uh, we created that, and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm being an artist right now, even though I'm a terrible... I Again, who is the person who classifies it? Yeah. You do. Yeah. So I, I was just like, oh, I'm a terrible artist. And then 
it came around and it was better by everybody else's contributions. And I was like, but I did initiate it. And so I'm contributing to it, which is why I really don't care mm -hmm. when I come up with an idea and even someone else takes credit for it. You know why? Because the idea is still being implemented. So for me, yeah. I look back at the satisfaction of, oh, thank God that's better than it ever would have been. And anybody who has an issue with, with claiming something, God bless and Godspeed. I yeah. mean, I, I'll see teachers in my class, uh, teachers taking my class and scribbling furiously notes and exercises. And I said, I got a million of them for you. Like, I really do. So I don't even take umbrage if somebody, even if somebody claimed my exercises as their own, I wouldn't, I might care a little bit, but most people footnote. And I, but again, it's not imperative for me because I'm creating. So for me, right. art is like, it's it's action. It's it's not, you know what I mean? It's I not, do. for me, product is weird. It's process product for me. Right. So when I look at the result, I'm kind of like, meh, meh, like, because I just want to do more. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to use, the, to springboard from that portrait, Laurent idea, it could also be called like bring a brick, right? Because improv is, you're not creating by yourself. No. You're stepping on stage and you're bringing a brick and then somebody else is bringing another brick and yeah. here we go. Other, yeah, I'd be improvising by myself in a living room if I didn't have my friend. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm nothing without my friend. 50% of my inspiration is my friend. Yes. So it's so exciting to see where you and I can get in the world and see what the fuck happens yeah. versus, oh my God, I have to do this correctly. And, da -da -da -da. and I would invite people who actually have to Unless they are like a mechanical engineer, in which case apparently something could blow. Yeah, or yeah. a surgeon. Let's or, say surgeon. Okay, you know. We will. I mean, I'm no surgeon, and I don't know how specific they <laughs> well, are. I'm a surgeon. Oh, you are. See? Yeah, all the time. Oh my gosh. Can I just go back to something you said Please. about uh, enjoying the um, sociological <laughs> aspect? Yeah. So when did you know that jazzed you? People would are always fascinating to me. You can even look on my shelf. There's a book that has just fallen apart called Little People Who Became Great. Uh huh. And I've always been interested in people's paths. It's a tiny little, you know, biography thing where there's like Andrew Carnegie or Booker T. Washington yeah. or whatever, whoever it was. But it, I was fascinated by people and their journey. So much so that I became a huge fan of autobiographies and memoirs, far more than even biographies, far mm -hmm. more. And so I don't, I didn't give a shit about Joan Crawford's films half as much as I gave a shit about you know, yeah. when she fucked that agent or Clark Gable or everyone and her horrible life beforehand that probably led her to fucking everyone to success and, you know, and, and in Hollywood and that's why she became such a tough ass or whatever the right. hell it could be. Like, mm -hmm. I like finding out about people and I really mean good, bad and ugly because sometimes my characters, I'll get off stage and go, ew, I can't believe I was that person, ew. Like, yeah. but, but... But it was something I saw, and I, I didn't know that, but I apparently had been inspired by the news or Deadliest Catch or whatever. Right, it's in it, the makeup when you step on stage. It's so in the makeup. It's it's make-believe with adults, with adult sensibilities, and if yeah. you're lucky, a piano player. That's it for me. It's it's That's why when you're people, lucky. people turn this into, like, uh, like yeah. make it really status and this art that has helped, you know, not just yeah. screenwriters, but... People at CERN, you know, working with super colliders, getting along, and that kind of scary shit. Yeah. Um, I'm thrilled to see that we have fundamental, kind ways of working with each other and maybe collaborating better, but it's always surprised me when I've seen the implications 30-plus years, 34 yeah. years after I started and going, oh, my God, I was just fucking around with my friends. 
Right. You right. know? Yeah. I get, I mean, I do know, I hold improv to a high regard. Like, yes. I think everybody should improvise. I think it's uh, a part of our human behavior that actually would benefit from having that I don't aspect. think anybody on this planet would do poorly from learning how to work nicely with other people right. with laughter as a result. I mean, the worst thing that happens is you look stupid and people are going to laugh at you and we're doing comedy. Yeah. So fuck you. So it's, it always works in your favor. Yeah. You don't What's ever have to try What's your favorite kind of improv? Because I, like when long you just form. said like, yeah, so long form. So that's long not form, always comedy um, focused, right? Long form, you can also no, I'm find. Not, I'm not interested in dramatic comedy. I mean, dramatic improv. Okay, like, talk interested. to me about that because okay. I don't, I think that you. I think it's lovely, but that's when somebody comes into. See, if you get two comedians doing dramatic improv, someone's going to laugh at something horrible. I mean, I understand. But they, we've we... done scenes like this before. I know you and I have done scenes that dip into. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that. No, no, no. The goal isn't comedy. This yeah. is, this is, okay. an, like, this is me opening up the door. Like, it's either a slice of life at the Johnsons or the day the shit hits the fan at the Johnsons. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea how it is. But I have so many clues to be inspired by you, by the way you're looking at me right now, mm -hmm. the way your hands cross, the way you're moving something. I'd much rather justify that than invent anything better. Or one of the things about improv that I love the most is is the truth. So yes. if that takes you into a dramatic or takes you to oh, absolutely, it's storytelling. There have been times where the audience is like watching me like a heart attack or Christian TV with like ma like mouth agape and like, Oh no 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 no! Yeah, and I have no problem with those moments. Yeah. those like I have sad, scary, depressed. Yeah, true, 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 true moments, and then there's a plus of release of tension. Yes. So so for me, at at any but, rate, but then that's it, life. Like when yes. you said, like I have no interest in dramatic improv. Like you have an interest in storytelling, and storytelling can go there, which you go because you have impeccable listening skills and reacting mm. skills. Mm. But then you also have comedic skills, which goes, I want to have some laughs. So when somebody dies, oh, absolutely, in real life, my gallows humor is on fucking point. Yeah, it is, and I will tell you, in life, too. after my husband died, and I was grieving during an international pandemic. Um, so pretty much by myself. I mean, with, mm -hmm. with support, certainly, but not near me. And then I went through some discoveries. So it was a very complicated grief, mm -hmm. uh, which I talk about on the podcast, which yeah. you're more than welcome to listen to. I will, I just, I'll, you know what, I'll reference that in another... That's great. Yeah. You do that. But no, no, because um, it's, it's actually really worthwhile, because I think in a level of grief in the pandemic, it's a really interesting story. Thank so, you. Yeah. Um, well, I wish I didn't have to tell it, but I did tell a first person Do you wish story. that, though? I wish it didn't happen. I wish... Do you? Sure. Like, isn't it? Isn't life interesting? Um, life's fascinating. It's almost not worth okay. suffering so much. Yeah. So I suffered a bit, um, but because I Maybe really did have a close. mental break. Yeah, I had a mental breakdown, yeah. but just nicely and quietly because it was a pandemic, so yeah. nobody knew, and I was still very tactical. Yeah. So, and my mental breakdown was like, oh. I'm sitting here and my head and brain are floating above looking down at me, which I guess is it's called pre-representation. I call it disassociation, you know, where you would just sort of disassociate. And I think mm -hmm. people who've dealt with anything traumatic has probably touched that a tiny, the tiniest bit. Mm -hmm. It's a self-preservation thing. Mm -hmm. But... I don't yeah, know. you're talking about you're talking about um, gallows humor and like when yeah, but when that, but that died. gallows humor got me through so hard. I, in the midst of my nadir. My friends and I were doubled over laughing. And I still have to ask my friends, what was I like during the initial stuff that I was discovering? 
And they would all say, you were very tactical, you were very this. They said, you were really funny. Mm. And I can't believe I was funny mm-hmm. during it. Do you remember? Like, do you No, I don't. I, 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 don't you remember last night I said to you, how? what was I like? Yeah, because I remember when you told me the story of, of Michael, it was more factual. Like, this is what happened. And I think for me, listening to your story, it was you needing to kind of go through it like a shopping list, almost a checklist of like, uh, I need to say these things out loud to make sure I know you're, you're, that you're a witness. Yes. That's what I felt. Yes. And I guess some people did take take on roles in that way. But yeah. most of the time, I'd be like, you, you have no idea what I saw, what I just discovered today. Yeah. Only to be like, I mean, you're really laughing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, the tragedy, no fun. The the way it was handled and, and the way that my friends uh, helped me through, mm-hmm. which included like just the entire thing was just covered in comedy as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Unintentional, <laughs> but comedy nonetheless. Comedy finds you, my friend. I love you so much. I love you so much. Oh Do you tell everybody staying at my house? I'm staying with Susan Messing. We are in Chicago. Oh my and, God, we're having so much um, fun. So much fun and so many snacks. I don't think I've ever, I just said this to Matt last night. I said, there's something so welcoming about you that uh, is family. It's been family from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. We, we just made an assumption, and I don't know if anybody else is going through this in this world, where you kind of say, oh, well, my world is getting smaller, and there's only three people I can stomach, and da-da-da. So when you really do meet someone and you adore the fuck out of them, you're always so surprised. Yeah. And we met each other in uh, Gutenberg, Sweden, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and we just immediately made a choice. Um, I think it was an immediate Media. choice yeah. to love each other. Now, granted, you are one of the nicest human beings in the world. Well, but... there are people that would uh, challenge that, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm cilantro. Some people t- think I taste like soap. Ish, Some people I, think. I think you're the best. I, and I am a cilantro fan. Me too. I will just say that, but I am not a curry fan. Okay, I mean, we that's a whole other podcast, I, I feel. Okay, so my, my discussion. Is it? Maybe not. This is the time. Firecracker, new department, curry. Oh. <laughs> Pro or con? Oh, are so many meetings. A, are we going into a food lifestyle? Oh, so many meetings. You guys are going to be such a brand that you're going to be like, did you buy my new line of pillows? Yeah, no, the firecracker, firecracker department pillows. pillows. Yeah. I often laugh with the firecracker department saying, I'm going to start a new department called the chairs department. Well, don't you do have apparel and such? We do. We have, but like chairs, as in like, what's it going to be? What's the chairs department? Um, we have to have a meeting to decide which chairs will be allowed into the department. I like the idea that you can create a department and then decide what the department is because ah. it is your place. You could have one department that is pure discovery. Dream department. Great. Love it. Great. You're That's, the head. Yep. Okay. I'm the head of the dream department. Oh my God. We've got a meeting next week. Can't wait. So you're going into acting, then you find IO and yes. you're like, my people. I find it. Like, find was it instant? Like, that's instant, my sense? Instant. Yeah. Instant. The, not that I didn't love the actors in the program and not that they haven't been so kind to me through the years through, oh God bless, kind of a lens, like that Southern bless, you know, mm-hmm. God bless mm-hmm. lens. And actually, we still have the theater reunion here Do every really? five years wow. before we clot. Um, but for every, like I said, for every Harry or whatever, my friend Rena Bitter is was the ambassador to Laos. That with her theater degree from Northwestern and ended up going to law school right. and has worked for the Foreign Service for over 20 plus years. And now she's the assistant consular to the embassies, yeah. all the embassies. Yeah. And she's just helped over... 200,000 people get out of Afghanistan in less than two weeks. I mean, she 
she's amazing. So when I do I mean, make I can, them, so when I, I do make them up, you know, and my be, and my best friend from high school, Leslie, oh, I don't know, saves people's lives. No, I can make you know, fart noises under my arm. How about you? I don't know if I can make Not them in my arm. well. You know what? I could do. I I have a fart machine. Okay. That is, All right. That's you know what great. you can't do replicate well with the assistance of machine of technology. Okay. Yes. Did you ever doubt that path? Like once you started on the improv, because I know now you like. When I think about improv in North America, even internationally, oh, yeah. I would say you're one of the leading voices Ew. in... <laughs> no, you know Ew. that's true. Ew. As a teacher, as somebody with a, a vision for how improv can be received... Uh, I think my, now is my time to sit back and see what other people want to do with it, if, if it's, especially if it has not always satisfied uh, people at large feeling the most comfortable they possibly can. I'm always willing to adapt to what will make people feel comfortable. But at the same right. time, I never thought that improv would lead to anything. Improv was its You were just doing it for jokes. I was doing it because I could not not do it. Yeah. That's when you but without know a thought, you're like, passionate about something. This is my career. This is what I was doing as a kid. Yeah. I was making shit up. Apparently, from what my family has told me, I was a very creative child. And make-believe and make-em-ups and all that stuff was what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe there was an adult version of it that somebody was, I don't even want to say codifying it in the sense of maybe like the Herald or whatever mm -hmm. form. Which, by the way, is just a house where them bitches live. And if your form is too fancy, nobody looks at that and goes, oh, so many bells and whistles. Understood none of it. Bravo. Right. You know, so, so as a performer, you know. My teaching makes me only honest as a performer. Mm -hmm. And my performing informs, like, if I've struggled with something, I want to get back as quickly to my students and say, this is something that I had to navigate that was not fun. I just want to share it with you. And this is, I think this is the way that we can circumvent feeling bad and feel good again. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm constantly just looking for ways to futz with it. So I guess in the sense that I'm always making up something new and trying something mm -hmm. else on, Yes, because you challenge but the I, you challenge it. Like there's some people they're like, oh, this is what improv is. Yes, there are a lot of people who are very which is fine. rigid. You know what? It is good for them. Yeah. Um, I've always thought the whole point was to become expansive. So maybe I'm wrong there, but but again, I think you challenge the format. I think that you. Can... I can only live in a ranch house. <laughs> My mother has issues <laughs> with walking upstairs. Mm -hmm. You know, so fine. I I'm 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 totally cool with it. I'm just not, nothing is right. Yeah. So it really always is point of view. It really is only helping people navigate through space or having it easier for an audience who knows nothing about this to understand that, yes, we're just playing mm -hmm. and isn't this delightful. And most people, when you are delighted to play, most people are delighted to watch you. Mm -hmm. If you're covered in fear and shitting yourself and it's the worst thing ever yeah. before a show and you almost have a mini heart attack. You know, I, again, I, I certainly, I empathize with you because I have said before a show, I only have one rule and you've probably heard it. And if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. So this is before a show, this is a, I, I would say, Oh my God, I'm the asshole and it's my role and it's my show. I'm such a fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. Hey, thanks for being my friend. And mm -hmm. then my desire to create supersedes the weirdness I have to go through in order to create. And I get off again. Yeah. I have to literally say this to myself every time I get on stage. And this is 30, five years now yeah so i get people's fear <laughs> but but i try to reframe it as adrenaline and excitement because i'm as reliant on you as i am on myself and if you're like what i call like anal probe by aliens when you know you need to relax your crack mm -hmm. and then 
you can recommit to it. Because for me also, improv isn't, it's not just commitment, it's recommitment when you want to give up. So when I can go back to students, that to me is fucking exciting Uh because I can see where people are blocked and I can support them. I don't even want to say the word blocked. It seems so blech. Like, but when I see where they aren't having fun anymore, where they don't feel creative, wherever they're stuck, that's my favorite thing to work with actually is people who have FIDS, frustrated improviser disease. Syndrome, patent pending. That's that's. <laughs> but what who I, gave I you mean, that challenge? Who challenged you to? I did. I go just. I, I just. I just looked at it all and I thought, oh my god, people are going home crying. Like when I only did IO, I went home crying every night. When I only did the annoyance, I went home crying every night. When I did only Second City, I went home crying every day. When I started doing all three, which at the time was almost anathema. I stopped crying. Why? So, because you because were... I didn't give a shit about politics anymore. Because you were doing so much of it, you're like, I got another show. I tomorrow? went into the building, honored what the building suggested or what their thesis really is. Oh, really? Your social and political satire can't wait. Oh, really? You're Second about the City. group dynamic. Can't wait. I O. I O. Um, personal power, the annoyance, uncensored content. Can't wait. So when I played everywhere, I was recommitting to what these buildings were about. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the thesis and the theory of improv is not always the reality because it sounds like unicorns and rainbows. And then everybody goes, it's not unicorns and rainbows. And then they're like, well, I'll create a better utopia that has more unicorns and more rainbows. And then everybody's like, yeah. no, it's still unicorn shit no matter wherever you go. It's it's Yes, if we know better, hopefully we can do better. That is a great, huge hope. For everyone and um, everything, my hope is for our evolution. God knows I've had to, like, literally put my face in my own... Not literally. Put my face <laughs> in my own shit and go, fix this, Susan. Yeah. This doesn't serve... This could hurt someone else. This doesn't serve what's going on. You know, get over yourself, your fine young self. I just can't wait to get better. And, yeah. and I'm not exactly sure what I want to do with my life because we've discussed this the other day. Yeah. I really don't know what I want to do with my life. And yes, I could continue to do this. I'm not sure if this is what I'm going to continue to do. I don't know. But I do know that I have to have as much passion about it as I do about this. Yeah. But they do say that people have five different careers in a lifetime. That is on average. Yep. And I've never done anything other than this. And then if you squint something that's adjacent, if I'm on film or, you know, or uh-huh. if I'm doing voiceovers or whatever the fuck is, that's adjacent yeah. to make em ups, which is my base yeah. and my bitch. Do, do you remember somebody seeing somebody or hearing like a teacher speak and having that kind of infusion of inspiration that improv could be more? Well, I would have to say the way someone approached comedy or what they found funny when I first met them, was what made me stop in my tracks, and that was Mick, mm-hmm. Mick Napier, who, um, he just had this really perverse, I'd never met anyone like him. He had a perverse sense of himself and the work, and what I mean by perverse is twisted. It was outside of the box. It was you, you know, yes, I appreciate your Nietzsche reference, Second City, but I also like to stand in the corner and go muka 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 yeah which is actually how Nietzsche spoke for a year I I would assume so after the hard interview but again I I just loved the way he saw the world and there was something missing in the work that his perspective infused in not just improv but in comedy, yeah, I, I do believe that. I don't mean to be like flippant about it, or I, mean, I don't, because I do believe that. So many ways to approach it. And I do appreciate even today's 
way of working where people are working smarter. And, and mm-hmm. like people are, so many people are like, I'm so censored in comedy now. I feel like me, me. It's usually a bunch of bros on a podcast saying, you know, putting their dick in some woman's ear isn't funny anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I've never, I don't, I just, uh, I'll put I've never my dick signed. in their ear. Okay. Now that's comedy. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's not. So tell me what you think comedy is like in 2021. I think that, I think it's progressive. I think, but I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with people evolving and becoming better humans and an examination of people who aren't kind. That's, that's why comedy is such a great teaching tool because if you put a pill on a piece of cheese, you're going to eat it. If, if you're a dog, I mean, I would, I would, I'm going to eat a piece of, I'm going to eat a pill and a piece of cheese, although I think it can swallow with water, but that's just the difference between me and our four legged friends. (laughs) Other than that, fuck it. Yeah. So, okay. So now you sound glib. I almost sound like I know what I'm talking about right now. I mean, this is frightening. It's like, what do you feel? Do you feel like you're actually hearing yourself going, no, this is... No, this I'm is hearing my... this and saying this is what I believe. Yeah. This is my shtick. Yeah. I believe that too, but I've, I've always thought that with you. Like, yeah. when we speak about improv, I'm curious to know where your next chapter will take you because I can't imagine. I can't imagine it's not... What do you want me to do? Yeah. Yesterday you wanted me to do crafts and I did pretty well. Not so well in the beginning. Not going think... to be a career. No. But maybe it could <laughs> be. I, I don't know. But I just see, like, your connection to improv is... a. a, a it's on a deeper level than some people because you have some sort of I have a stake ownership in it. stake. Yeah, I have a stake. Yeah. I have a Where's stake. Where's that from? Tell me, like I don't know. I just feel a sense of responsibility. If there are people in a yeah, room, I feel you like can't that. just go two up. Like if I were not inspired, I wouldn't teach. Yeah, I just wouldn't teach at all because if because nobody deserves a teacher who is going through the paces. Yeah, and nobody deserves a teacher. Nobody deserves a teacher like that. Nobody do Have you always no, been nobody deserves a teacher who thinks they know better than everyone else either. That pisses me off just as much 100%. as anything. And they might know what they're talking about, but again, how do you want to put this information out? The things I teach are things that I need to work on, seriously. Things that I love, like, like specificity, what? just yeah. yum, 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 yum. <laughs> you know, like the richness of it. the physical intelligence that you're already manifesting so I don't have to invent anything better. I merely have to justify it. That kind of shit is so exciting because the audience looks at you and goes, why is that woman standing that way? Not, why isn't this left brain, who, what, where, premise, yeah. funnier? You know what I mean? So that's why I say maybe maybe my job in a very complicated way <laughs> that I've just gone around about is to say my job is to simplify it. Yeah. And, and because I think everybody deserves to play, and I really do believe people can create comedy simply through commitment and recommitment to their choices. I agree. So, I mean, I, I some of the most dour, some of the best comedians we know, you know this, are the most dour human beings. Mm-hmm. The most dour human beings. That for who Yeah. But, I mean, this goes back to, like, you dealing with Michael's death, which was not the most, the brightest of times. That was not as much fun as it I was going to say, could be. None no, of it I was, was fun. <laughs> That's why you're saying, aren't you glad it happened? I'm like, no. No, but nobody's glad well, it mean, happened. Everybody learns from what happens. Yeah, Everybody has there's... an opportunity to grow, and death is profound, and betrayal is profound. Yes, and I think that what my my meaning of, like, aren't you glad it happened is that we, <laughs> well, it happened. <laughs> it's grief. Like, uh, there is, like, you know, with my mom and pop dying, of course we're not happy that people die because we love them. No, but I just what wouldn't want gift. it so complicated. Oh, being, a, being able to be with Michael when yeah. he died or my 
father when he died was profound. Yeah. Absolutely. It is an honor to be, for me, there are a lot of people who it's triggering and I totally understand their perspective as well for them mm -hmm. and that they shouldn't be there because they want to remember them in a different way. I used to judge that more and go like, suck it up, bitch, and get in there. Mm -hmm. Like, this is part of life. Mm -hmm. And now I have a completely different perspective. I just discovered you and I have a high tolerance for caregiving and, and loving for us is also a verb. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm always grateful for the, I'm grateful for whatever experience I have, but that doesn't always mean I want to have a, a certain experience. Yeah. And I'm not talking about my husband dying. I'm talking about the stuff afterwards. Agreed. So yeah, that's yeah. what I mean by that. So when you talk about your level of inspiration, when you teach improv, have you always been inspired? Has there ever been a time when you're like, I need to regroup because yes. I'm teaching right now, like I'm working at the bank. Yes, it was odd because the first time I've ever felt that came from Second City where, because I had done 11 different shows all over the city a week. Now I was narrowing it to 11 different shows at The Annoyance and now I feel like I'm cheating because I'm in the same location. I'm just changing makeup and going back for a new show, but I'm still cheating. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at Second City and it's eight shows a week. And granted, I wrote it with my friends, but... Well, my friends probably wrote it a lot more than I did, but it was eight shows a week. Yes, I, I made it up, mm -hmm. but it's eight shows a week of the same thing. Mm. And now I'm really cheating, and now it feels sort of like a gerbil wheel. And Mondays were our only days off. I have always said that it's the hardest job I've ever had, but it was exhaustive. Like, it was, it was mentally exhausting for me. How many shows did you do? I only did two main stage reviews, but that's a solid two years. That's a good, yeah, that's a good chunk of time. What did keep you afloat during that time? Well, I would stand outside the building because, again, I should be nowhere that I don't want to be. That's just, it's wrong for the people who have paid good money to see the show. It's wrong for your cast members. It's wrong for your director. It's, it's a real breach of confidence in your ability to maintain where you are. Mm -hmm. So I would stand outside the building, and I'd take a deep breath, and I'd put a smile on my face, and I would say, everybody wants this job. Mm -hmm. And that's what would force me to be grateful. I am constantly reframing my shit to talk myself in. So that's why I think mm. I'm decent as a teacher just because I can Well, we'll you're the boss, right? You're the boss when you're teaching. Nobody's going to... Oh, I don't, I, don't I don't care about bossiness. I'm no, the but I mean, you're the, holding uh, the Purell. You're the <laughs> rain holder. Like you, like you go into teaching and you can choose to make that adventure what you want it to be. Yes, that is, that is the privilege of a teacher, mm -hmm. but that's not... In a sense, it's not even the right. I've had entire lesson plans. You know, when I plan it, I, I will look at someone in class who looks really despondent, ask them a question, and it'll send us on a merry little way. Yeah. So yeah. improvisers who teach, I assume, can pivot and read the room. Yeah. And that's another thing is, too, is reading the room. I can't just live on what worked 10 years ago. It all has to change up. Mm -hmm. This world has changed. Yeah. My theaters in my city, many of them have, have burnt to the ground. Yeah. You know, many. And Well, and... what's left in Chicago for you? Because you were teaching all over Chicago. Yeah. Well, but that's this happened right before Michael yeah. got sick. Yeah. Well, when Michael got sick, I had been teaching at the time at IO. Sorry to make it just a fast list. IO, The Annoyance, Second City, DePaul, uh, Theater School. I was teaching MFA3 school at Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. And did that ever become? University of Chicago. And then all over the world. And did that become bank work at all? It was bank work, but I was also working incredibly hard. Yeah. Like I was teaching a bajillion classes a day for, I mean, you know, a week yeah. for whatever theater. So I was also traveling, headlining festivals. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot of fun. But if you're also teaching two classes that day and doing a show 
and da, da, da. like yeah. it's a it's a lot. So I would teach all during the week, and in the summer times was the worst because while Sophia was at camp, I was like, while the hay, you know, while was it make was, hay while the yeah make do children. that. Yeah. So so I would terrifying. I would like teach all week in town, yeah. and then all weekend somewhere else. Festivals, yeah, festivals or or Europe or wherever the hell it was. It was it was a lot. And did you tap out? Like were you able? Like at some I was point? exhausted. But it's almost like getting me to to a movie. It's really really hard to get me to a movie. But once I get there, I'm like, shut up, nice seats, popcorn. You're such a bitch. Right. So there are times where I'm like, I have to teach, and the second I get in yeah. that room. I can honestly say I have never taught a class where I've just gone through the motions. Yeah, yeah. Just I remember actually that about you with uh, Gutenberg because Gutenberg. we were we were exhausted. We were all jet lagged, and festivals typically put you under some sort of schedule where you're doing shows at night oh and teaching during the all day. day, all day. Yeah, like like because they want to get their money's worth. Yeah. It's like wringing a cloth and seeing I mean, how much water comes. I'm like, there's no more water in this cloth. It's been it's been dry for weeks. Yeah, yeah. So so it is again not always like. Would you like to do our jam in the middle of the night? I'm like, no, I have to teach for you at nine in the morning. Yeah. Are you fucking shitting me? I like, but then also the you step into that jam. You're like, get me in there, right? Oh god, yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. I was like, again, I'm the asshole. No, so I'm nobody const- thinks that. Uh, you might rabbit. Well, Just like you're like, not everybody likes me. I'm cilantro. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Well, I've already pissed at least three of your listeners off. Um. Then they stop listening. They're like, I love Pringles. I live on Pringles. <laughs> the Pringle Fuck fans. You. We have a huge Pringle fan uh, base. I as well. noticed that you created a new department for it. The Pringle department. Yep. Anyway, right next door to the Dream One, oh. which I don't understand because it's not alphabetical, and you are an organizer. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. Okay, what does that mean to you? Because you oh, also, what does I... that mean though? Because you have said that before about like have improv I? being. Like, A, that we have to work smarter as improvisers now oh, in the oh, world oh, that we're oh, living in. Oh, well, that's in. just because for the people who just seem to have diarrhea of the mouth. They're like, but it just came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you talk to your grandparents differently than you talk to your best friends. Yeah. Uh, read the room. Check out the time slot. Something in you needs to shift and adjust. Although, I will say this. I, I once was in Kansas City. They were having me play their festival. And they put me at a 7 o'clock time slot. And I was like, oh my God, don't they know who I am? And sensory comedy and messing with a friend is described as a joyful and censored and improvised romp through hell. Right. Through hell. I wrote that. <laughs> Fucking A. I was trying to cover all my bases, plus a shit night of theater, which is a Thursday night, I would think, at 10.30 at night. Oh, go yeah. fuck yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. So I couldn't have protected it more. It's like, if I'm wandering into see messing, I obviously know what I'm getting in for. Something might happen, yeah. and it might be disturbing. You know, God bless. But I, Mark Sutton was doing the show with me, and I said, we've got to protect this opening so they know what we do, Or and certainly there's going to be an adjustment. It's a family-friendly show. I'm looking out. They're like 10-year-olds going, I got new ankle socks, right. you know, like to their neighbor. Like, no, really, I got these are new. They say they sparkles and light up. You know? And they're like, yes, yes, Stephanie. You know, whatever. Yeah. But again... I, Mark and I like worked really hard to like jokingly get through the opening. I said, what's this show described as? And he said that and I was like, yes, we might F around and everybody laughed and then we were fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. The audience was fine with it. I don't cater to my audience, but again, you know, don't visit a polar bear in the middle of the winter, you know, with a fucking bikini on. Did you ever think about quitting? Uh, yes, I, I have thought about quitting a lot of times. Tell me tell me why you thought about quitting and tell me what else you 
Susan Messing could possibly do. Like, this is the perfect partnership. Is it so, time to die now? What, like, <laughs> well, what, what was saying? the thing that made you go, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore? Well, certainly I took a permanent sabbatical in the sense of really doing anything substantive in the sense of, of committing to something for a time because I didn't know what kind of time I would have with my husband. Yeah. So when Michael was super well for him, mm -hmm. then I thought, if I leave these pills like this, Christopher's going to check in on him. Sophia will make his meals, you know, his oatmeal's ready for the week. Like, like all these machinations of all of these things are fulfilled. And I feel like he's still at a place. I was asking people to get travel insurance on me mm -hmm. because I was worried I'd have to say, nope, can't do this. Mm -hmm. But to their credit, they still employed me and Michael for two years. Those two years, I'd never left anything that I'd been doing yeah. for so long. But again, it, it was very easy for me to make that choice. And I was very fortunate that I had saved enough money yeah. to not have to like panic about that choice. Michael taught simply to make himself feel like a real boy and to continue our insurance with DePaul. Mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, right? And, yeah. and you know what it is, it's full time. It's, yeah. it's full time. If, if Michael, I don't mean to say just had cancer, it, it might not have been as full time, but he was also a spinal cord patient mm -hmm. because even just to get his uh, biopsy of the tumor that he had in his neck made him very physically disabled. Mm -hmm. I mean, was there ever a concern that you needed to do it? Like, you know, when you're a caregiver and you think, I'm going to give up everything because I just want to spend time with the person I love. And then you give up everything and you're like, I'm now depleted and I have nothing to give this person I love. Yes, nursing is its own bitch. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I was as you become almost a robot to make sure that, I mean, it's almost like when I became a parent and I went, oh shit, I'm responsible for keeping someone alive. Mm -hmm. And even though my daughter is 18, we're still checking in all the time because I want to make sure she's alive, yeah. you know, physically and mentally happy and, and strong and in process. And, you know, it's, I'm invested forever. Yeah. And um, that was what I thought my agreement for marriage was, was right. to invest in forever. I mean, why would you marry someone otherwise? No, no, no. So then you thought that might be a turning point of you quitting at that point. I thought at that time I could certainly see the possibility because I wasn't doing it very often. And I had been doing so much of it before Michael got sick. Yeah. So much of it. So much so that I was just like, if this is going to feel like just another class, just another rehearsal, and just another show, I need to re-examine this. Yes. Thankfully, it wasn't. I don't think I... One of the nice things about doing improv is you can't just go through the motions. You can't just say, oh, you take over mm -hmm. tonight. It doesn't work that mm -mm. way. You might get on stage and discover you're uninspired, but you're not going to get on stage and go, God, I can't wait to be uninspired. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, by the way, but also, in the intro, it, this is going to be a highly uninspiring show. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. My guest have One person. Yeah. Um, but then do you remember like when you came back to improv, what that did to your makeup after Michael passed away and you kind of got reintroduced to your... Well, it's, I do remember it, but remember it's been very slight yeah. because Michael died in April of 2020. So there's so, never been a real like so welcoming a, home, really. No, I've done my show three times this year. Yeah. And, Who uh, was the first one with? The first one was with Rachel yeah. in August. And she started in a real dark place. I can't remember where it was, but I remember yeah. them going, This is, oh, I know, it was. she made me sit in the fuck chair. So once I sat in the fuck chair, by the end of the show, there was a fuck chair in every scene. It just mm -hmm. was something that was versus that's jarring. You know what I mean? But but, funny that you should say that because we do have a chair department. So this is actually working out really nicely. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, You'll be is, contacted. Is fuck chair on the 
It's not a little. We're 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 whiteboarding that one. Yeah, we're blue skying the fuck chair idea. So the copulation mobile, the this is one of the things that have been presented to the board. Of the mons on mons. This is another one. Like I mean, you'll be on the committee, obviously. Obviously, because I'm the chair of the dream department. Right. Oh, God, I have so much to do. So when you came back to like working with Rachel, who I know you work with a whole bunch. I Rachel was and it like, I, and I played with. You know what? Everybody, I'm sure they gave us a buy. They were so sweet. I, I don't know how the I think the quality of my work might be weird and crunchy, but yeah. because I'm genuinely so happy to be there, I think I they're happy to see it. Yeah. Because joy begets joy. So I did a fun show with Norm, and he was brilliant, and I did two shows with Cindy Capanera, and they were brilliant. And I wish that we had thought about this because we could have done shows together as well oh, while we'll you were in town. I know you will. We'll be back. This will be your house. And we're doing it anyway. We're doing shows all, the, all time. the time in your kitchen. I know a lot of shows. What are you? She's also organizing all my closets and oh, drawers, it's... and it's oh, it's so lovely. I mean, it's a dream. I really, it's <sighs> there's something because uh, you can once, see like, how everybody, everything is almost there, and then you're like, Susan. it's categories, Susan. It's just putting the bottles together that look the same, but it's so satisfying because it's so like satisfying to look chaos at. into order. I know it's artistic though. Like when you go into you go on stage in improv, yeah. and you're like chaos, all these ideas. You choose one, you've got order. Yeah, I Isn't guess that so. what we do? I don't we think of it that way, but it should We just drawers be. on stage. It's uh... True, true. Yeah. And the minute I, you know what? In the minute I say no to cumin, I've closed the door on everything, even though I do not like Again, cumin. cilantro. Here we go. So let me ask you this. When you're moving forward now, what do you see your, I don't know, what's the thing that's like okay. passing you now? Okay, here's the here's the hope Yeah. from my from my perspective. I was not sure what I wanted to do with my life, and I was eerily calm about it. And then there was a little part of me that got depressed and a little panicked, and I went, oh, no, why don't I know? Yeah. And then I stopped myself, and for some reason, this is so stupid, there was an article in Men's Health about Jim Belushi and his pot farm in Oregon, and I know him so courteously through Michael, my husband, and I'd met him also with Rob, his son, and just a bunch of stuff. He and Michael had a very long relationship. And um, after he died, we kept in touch a little bit, just perfunctorily, but nice. And when I found things for him that Michael had saved that I thought would Jim would like, I sent them to him. Mm-hmm. And he came and he sat on my porch. And he's like, oh, he can always come to my pot farm if he wants to, blah, blah, blah. So I'm reading this article about the pot farm. And I was at this thing. I was like, you got to contact him and say you got to go. Like I said, I don't know what your seasons are. I don't know if I can go to your pot farm, but if I can go to your pot farm, I want to go to your pot farm. Can I water the plants? Do you have pine cones? Because mm-hmm. I'm really good with pine cones. No, no, there's the uh, the classic pot pine cones that need to be gathered every season. I, I will gather the pine cones. Yeah. I said I can stay in town. He's like, no, you have to stay here. Like he's very, very kind. He yeah. also has a child who's also a freshman at NYU in the Clive Davis Music Program. Like, like. no, not Clive Davis. That Sophie is in Clive Davis. Okay. He's a, but he is a freshman. Okay. His son. And oh they're gosh. both in the same dorm. How weird is that? That is really So weird. now we're like also parents, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But he's been very kind to me, which is very kind. So I kind of felt that for some reason unclogged me a little bit. I just uh. was like, even this little thing gave me more excitement about going back to what I previously have done. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in on a teacher's meeting in the department I work for at the University of Chicago, and mm-hmm. I teach improv. And it's kind of ground zero for so much of the inspiration of modern improv. University of Chicago is not me in my class. And uh, I was listening to these teachers, and they were talking about pedagogy, and and I'm listening to them, and I was like, oh, it feels so good to be in this room 
with people who, you know, like are sharing their struggles and trying to figure out better ways to streamline X or handle Y and, and, and especially what's going on with COVID and mm-hmm. how they're honoring their students in a certain way. They, they don't want to babysit them and just on and on and on. And I've never been to one of these Zoom meetings. I've never done it through the whole thing. I've always been conveniently busy. Right. And I sat in and I was like, this is lovely. And that alone made me excited yeah. about teaching again. So sometimes it's this tiny thing that reinvigorates you. And again, you know, I'm putting less weight on teaching and probably more on performing. I think I want to do a little more performing because mm-hmm. for a long time I had to put that on the back seat sure. based on what was needed at the moment, either financially or whatever. Yeah. But changing the air, like I think that we're Sometimes real I work inside out, sometimes I work outside in. Sure. Sometimes literally you decluttering a shelf which I was looking at and going, oh, I gotta declutter that, just made me go, ah. And that alone is the tiny pause that you might need to reinvigorate a lot. I I do have to say that I believe that so much of the nadir of our being is temporary. Mm -hmm. And I do know that. I know that shit's transitory. And 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 that it's not going to be forever. And that I often, I don't have to be reminded of it because when you're in hell and it's a solid good hell and you're like, I see no way out and it's hell, you might need to actually live there a little bit so that you can remember what great sounds like. Just when I got COVID in the end of September and I didn't lose my smell or taste, although things tasted slightly metallic and only the orzo from Trader Joe's would do because I knew it would slide down my throat. Um, I don't know. I just had to be ease. But for me, the only thing that happened was this incredible sheer exhaustion. I can't even explain it. It was like a slow-mo tsunami of exhaustion and it went on solidly for 12 days. And on the 13th day, it just almost like lifted, almost like mm-hmm. mist on a lake. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, ah, I need to remember again what feeling well feels like. Mm-hmm. Because I take it for granted. So there's a lot of stuff that I need to revisit simply and go, when you apply gratefulness and reframe all that shit, a lot of what looks old and shitty looks new and sparkly again. and yeah. Or you might take it in a, a completely different direction. I think what makes me sad is when people set a thesis for themselves, and if the thesis doesn't go exactly the way mm-hmm. they wanted it to, they get very upset with themselves because they didn't succeed at that thing. And I highly disagree. I truly believe that, like, it might create something new. Yeah. I never knew I'd be a teacher. I was just happy not to get kicked off stage. You know, yes, yes. I didn't know that somebody would ask me to write shit about stuff yeah. or let me do stand up or but any of it. it was serving you, right? Like it fed you. So you knew you were on the right path because. No, I didn't know I was on the right path unless right means pursue joy. Well, exactly. That's okay. what I mean. Like you were joyful. I'm on the right path. Yeah. I was like, right let's path. say like, you know, like it's like being around people that you connect with. Oh, I feel really good in this space. I'm going to stay here. This feels really good. Yes. And when it stops, I'm going to change my air. Yes, like I, but but at the same time, it's not necessarily to change my air or my location. It's oh, I dare say this is so rude. I need to change me because I can't control other people, but I can control myself. And almost like you and I were talking about dealing with difficult personalities mm-hmm. today and reframing it, or a really bad situation I had with a friend that I went, oh wow, I don't know if I'll be able to be friends with this person anymore. And I'd always thought friendship was historical, you know, and that yeah. you had to stay friends no matter how wretched they could be. And somebody said, no, you can resign a contract. And I forget that I have more control than I think yeah. I do. And you had started this whole fucking thing talking about control. Yeah. You guys, life's a herald.
Okay, I want to ask you something because I, I think it's important because I think you have a, a balance between the logical and the creative, the heart versus the head as a teacher and as a performer. Oh, Rachel calls that what hard head and X factor or something. Tell Rachel, me, tell Rachel me how you balance that. that. Tell me how you challenge yourself to, to feel more, to be more vulnerable and to shut off the logical part sometimes. Wow. To balance my logical versus artistic side. Yeah, because as a teacher and as a performer, you need to lead with your heart. Yes, you have to lead with joy. But you're a very logical and intelligent person. I am. Well, you are. <laughs> you you. I play one. You play one on TV. <laughs> but like I think because people like you do have follow a logic to your life, but it doesn't always serve us to be logical as artists. Right. Well, I invite people to play. I invite people to play. I love it. And that's, um, we don't play correctly. Oh, don't you remember the girl who wanted to play correctly with you when you were young? You were, she's like, you have to be the prince, and you have to say this, yeah. and I have to have the rose on the birthday cake, and you're probably going, oh, that was, that, that's who uh, I was. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to say is Nobody wants play, the rose anyway. It's so full of sugar. So, so control for me is not a great thing. People who have too much control, I've seen new improv worlds emerge and some of them seem lovely, and some I seem concerned about because it's this mm -hmm. weird, I control it, and this is my thing. And I'm kind of like, well, if you're a collaborative place or you're accepting money, I invite you to relax your crack and stop controlling it, you know? Cause Do you find yourself like, no, mm, ever? I don't control things like that. No, I feel like, yeah. I initiate something for myself or someone initiates it for me uh -huh. and we see where it goes. Yeah. So I don't have to feel like you failed because you set this goal. And I'm not saying I don't set goals for myself and I don't say that I haven't set unrealistic goals for myself. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But they live there and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's not what's going to define me, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just not what's going to define me. And success. I remember my mom once saying... She had noticed in the New York Times something about the uh, Amy Sedaris and a couple of friends of mine who were in a show with her and blah, blah, blah. And she said, why can't you get your agent to get those kind of jobs? Right. And I was drying knives at the time. No, as you do. <laughs> as you do. And I remember holding a knife and clenching it in my life. You know, and you're thinking, oh, in this split second, you could really change the trajectory of your life. Um, but, okay. But I, kept, but I, I kind of put the knife down very quietly, and I turned to her and I said, you have no idea what my idea of success is. Yeah. And I still don't have any idea what my idea of success is, but in a really cool way. Have you ever felt like, ah, oh, like, I'm so good in this space? Yes. When was that? Whew, I think it was the founding of The Annoyance. I think it was with my team, Blue Velveeta. I think it's with the extraordinary women I've met in comedy. Extraordinary women. Mm -hmm. Like, really awesome human beings. Mm -hmm. The men I've met especially the ones who've gotten out of just bro stage, um, the ones who are still living in the past will continue to be left in the dust. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, I just don't care. I've, I've always felt so lucky to be a part of comedy. Yeah. So even when I'm just sitting in the room, like that when feels successful. The, 50th, the 50th anniversary of Second City, I mean, I'm like sitting next to Mina Kolb in her wheelchair, and I'm talking to like uh. all these people who I love and admire and respect and are my friends, and we're not talking about comedy. We're talking about their kids, and yeah. we're talking about how are you feeling now? I knew you went through a hard patch or whatever the fuck it was, but it was a very humanizing experience not a star fuckery thing no. and everybody was so grateful to remember that this was a hard place that they had learned mm -hmm. you know and so that's success for you 
to be an integral part of any whole, any whole, uh-huh. W-H-O-L-E, not... No, I, nobody thought yeah, that. No, yeah, well, I did, because, <laughs> yeah, it's a this problem. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, I, but again, that, that I, I wouldn't say being at the Second City, but being allowed to be on the Second City stage at all. Are you yes. fucking kidding me? We were just talking I about know, this. I know. To not be kicked off my team that ended up being guys that if I had to call them in the middle of the night and say, get the van ready, they would. I yeah. will oh, never yeah. belittle the, the fact that I get to do what I get to do. My friends, my comedy partners, I can't believe people want to play with us. That blows my mind. But that we, you know, like our path. You, I can believe it. <laughs> Me, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> but our path led us to this, that there are our audiences that have come to see you, to see me, to laugh, and they've left feeling better. Like, what a fucking privilege is that? It is a privilege, but it's also like such an expression of our humanness because we it would have tickled us. And we're just so happy they're tickled oh, too. Oh yeah, but it's so the it's DNA not even like it's, so for me it's not like I healed you. Although no, I've no. had people come up to me after shows and go, "Oh my God, Jesus, what the I fuck? needed that. I, oh sweet Christ, I have." But that's like what I'm talking about with the um, when we were talking about collaboration, right? That's yes. the DNA of the day. That's going into a theater and not talking at them, but talking with them, and then having an experience that you go, "That was ours. That's not mine." If I smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it, they might too. And if nothing else, it inspires their own imagination. People have come up to me after shows and said, when you said this thing, it totally reminded me of this. And they were so happy to remember that memory that they had forgotten. Yeah. You know? Or or they go, oh my God, that's my Aunt Esther. Yes. Oh my God, she has that same pumpy soap, that Kmart pumpy soap from Martha Stewart. Oh my God, she has like 10 of them in her closet. And you're like, and she's I know your aunt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I am your aunt. All right, we have to wrap it up. First of all, we turn the tables, and you can ask me a question. Yes. How did Cheeky you, little face. How did you know that you were going to marry Matt? <laughs> what was the epiphany? I just knew that... This, I mean, you were right. I mean, it's the best thing I've ever done. But I knew that life wouldn't always be easy, but it would never be boring, and we'd always find laughter within it. Perfect. It's like when I met you. Yeah, right? And it was an easy I'm, friendship. Yeah, you were very easy. There's like nothing, honestly, there'd be nothing I would say because you and I are, we'd be like terrible lawyers because I'd say something to you and you'd be, if, if like, let's say we have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. I say something to you and you'd be like, oh man, I never thought of it that way. Or I'd be like, <laughs> good point. That's why I'd be a terrible lawyer because yeah. I would totally buy into your shit. I love it. Okay, here's the wrap up questions. Fill in the blank. Okay. To me, a firecracker is. A potential nightmare. I'm so excited about that answer. Because you know why? Because I'm holding my fists like I have no fingers. <laughs> okay. All right. I uh, bet nobody's answered it that never, way. Never. Never. Uh, what do you want to be best known for? Aw, I was going to say a good friend, but I also want to be known as a good mom. Oh, that's going to make me cry. Keep going. If this was a movie, your life is a movie, what has been like a climactic turning point in your life that changed your path forever? What's the movie with Peter Sellers? Being There. Being There. Is there anybody in Being There who truly looks at him and is like, this guy's fucked. I can't remember any moment where, like, there are moments where people were like, Well, oh, something's different about him. Something's different about but yeah. nobody went, he's a moron. No. Not one person went that he is a simple man. Yeah. That feels like my life. Like, nobody figured it out. Okay. I'm a simple girl. <laughs> <laughs> nobody no else that. Nobody with no fingers but gleefully laughing. Um, what? Uh, That's, you know what my favorite cartoon is from? Um, it is from uh, what is it? National Lampoon. 
uh, is an S. Gross cartoon, and it's a it's a, a gingerbread man, and they're standing there, and it has a placard around its neck, and there's a little thing of pencils, and then it goes on the ground that you can take a pencil, I guess, you know, if you donate, and it says, "God bless you for you have fingers." <laughs> I guess that's the way I feel. <sighs> What's something that you haven't done but you know you have to do? Oh. Smoking. Yeah, you too. Shut ridiculous. up. You, you shut up. You shut up. Next no. one. Next one. Next no. You're ridiculous. It's been a hard couple years. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's something that people don't know about you? Well, now that you smoke, but what else? Weed, because I smoke an excessive amount of weed. Not never in the beginning of the day. Not until you know everything's done. Like anything responsible has to be done. But I, I, I should lighten up on that shit too. What else? Right. Uh, you mean what else do they don't yeah, know what about me? They don't. They don't um, know about you. I would say I'm probably an introvert. Okay. What's something that <laughs> you wish people would just know about you without you having to tell them? I think I think I'm sort of an open book, mm-hmm. and I also believe that people who have nothing to hide hide nothing, and that once you bring it up into the light, it's no longer darkness. What has been your favorite mistake that you've made? Almost everyone. I mean, we have the socks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell them what the socks say. Um, the Says, socks say. On to my next mistake. Yeah, I give out those socks frequently. Mm-hmm. What about your favorite one though? What's one that comes to mind that you're like, I'm so glad that happened. I am glad that my divorce ended up where it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that when my husband died, that I did discover a more balanced, truthful understanding of him. Mm-hmm. And then I am happy because I love my lawyer and my boyfriend, Bob Fisher. So. <laughs> I love that lawyer came first. My lawyer and boyfriend. I can't imagine that it ever be Well, it's because I've loved him for 30 plus years. I must I mean, say. That's your, that's a film. That's fair. Yeah. Well, but anyway, but that, that I am happy now. So that and I'll is, say something even else. Even not knowing what I want to do with my life, I am happy right at this moment in That's the middle something. of hell. Yeah. But the I'll also say hell. that like for somebody to have gone through what you went through, not only with Michael's death, but then the aftermath of Michael's death. Yes. Go listen to the podcast. But to have gone through that and your heart being broken and bruised, you were able to still have it open enough to hang out with Bob Fisher. That's more That's of a testament pretty... to Bob Fisher, not to me. I mean, you two will fight over that mm-hmm. forever. What has been the best advice that you've ever received, or the worst advice? It's the hardest if it's the best and it's the worst. Um, Mick called me up one day during rehearsals for one of the Second City main stage shows, and he, I thought he was going to tell me how great I am and how great I'm doing, because he had said to me before rehearsal process, oh, are you going to talk a lot during this show? And I was like, no. And I started literally counting words as I came up with suggestions for things. I literally was counting words. And I was writing, shut the fuck up in my performance journal. And so one day he calls me and I think he's going to say, Susan, you're doing such a great job not just shutting the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And instead he rips me a new asshole about something that I don't, it's so interesting, I don't even remember the topic of what that was. But I remember him railing into me and me trying to interrupt him and saying, I didn't do that. That happened last week with Stephanie. And no, 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 that's Tammy's gig. I didn't even know. And he stopped me and he said, and he might have been wrong about part of it, but he said, your job is not to justify and defend your job right now is to listen and for some reason that piece of advice Mm. had me put my blinders on and say my path is my path and that's what saved me from being jealous and envious of my friends success and make me celebrate them all like oh my god I can't believe I know such fucking amazing talented people who haven't dumped me as their friend because I think they're brilliant Mm -hmm. and kind and great humans like that we've gotten to truly all know each other so that's exciting Mm -hmm. but it's also reminded me that my path is my path 
and this note is for me. Mm-hmm. Like That's good. the day you get the hard note, even if it's not the right note, it, it's what it does is it pulls a feeling out of you mm-hmm. because it's the difference between criticism and feedback. Criticism is an attack on your character and feedback is what helps you evolve. So, And it's how you evolve too that I always think is interesting. When you get feedback that me, might be hard. Something in me shifted and I stopped going, but that's her fault. Yeah. That's what I stopped doing. Yeah. But he did that. Why does he get to do it? And da da da. I told you today about something that happened in a rehearsal process that I looked at and I thought, huh, I'd be p- fired for that behavior that yep. my compadre was doing. But I didn't have any resentment. And I, the yeah. reason I didn't have any resentment was because I'd learned that note. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, good. that's carried me well. Good old Mick Napier. Who's a firecracker in your world that we can shine a little light on? Ah, so many beautiful firecracker souls. What's the one that comes to your mind first? Oh, fuck. Well, Rachel Mason does come up right now. She always does. But then I started scrolling with Abby and Katie and Celeste and all the... Who have been on the podcast. Oh, my God. So we celebrate them. Oh, my gosh. The same people. That's right. You said that. Mm -hmm. But just so many people I know who are just extraordinary humans. What's the favorite thing about Rachel Mason that you love? Rachel and I coexist perfectly fine. We are fine in hell. We are fine when it's great. We are fine. Mm-hmm. We are always fine. And um, we've, I think, both adjusted and grown in order to be those people to each other. Mm-hmm. But um, on stage, it's sort of a priceless feeling mm-hmm. to be able to have that kind of trust. Uh, then again, I, I do trust everyone I play with, even people I've never played with. I'm, I assume trust. But I just, it's, it's nice that it's assumed times infinity. Last question. Advice you would have given a younger Susan Messing. Recommit, you're not done yet. Yeah. How old would you have given yourself advice like that? I've always given myself that advice. Even like as a kid? Recommit, you're not done yet. Yes, because what I lacked in talent, I made up in tenacity. Story of your life. That's your title right there, my friend. What? What I lack in talent, I make up for in tenacity. (laughs) It's a long one. It doesn't fit on a hat, but okay. Just make the font super small. (laughs) Tiny. Listen. I love you. I love you more. I love you as a person. I love you as a performer. I love you as an artist. And I admire you so much. Oh, back at you, please. I pinch myself that I get to share space with you. Can you believe you're at home? What did you tell him in the on the phone the other day? You said to me on the phone, this feels like home. It feels like home. Because it's home, duh. It's just you make, uh, you make me feel like you see me. It sounds like ridiculous, but it makes me feel valued. It makes me feel to be in your space. You back at you times a bajillion. We are lucky people. We are lucky people. And whoever chose to listen to this to the end, you are a brave and remarkable soul. No, this is how it goes. People like it. This is how it works. They They like like, listening. They like the the story, the Susan Messing story. Oh, I don't know about that. Remember, I'm I'm cilantro too. I mean, could you hear my smile the whole time? I was just like giggling from toes to nose. I'm just such a fan of Susan's. I'm actually. uh, This is something new. But I am the self-appointed president of the Susan Messing Fan Club. So please submit your request to join the fan club. I think this year we'll be making hats. Next year, maybe bobbleheads. Who knows? Okay, so now what's up next for Susan? You're all wondering. Okay, well, listen up, Chicago firecrackers and anybody around that area. Susan will be performing at the World Comedy Expo in Chicago. That's happening March this March 2022 on the 25th to the 27th. Remember, 2022. I don't know when you're hearing this. 
Audiences will be treated to Susan performing with her buddy Rachel Mason in Messing with Mason, and she'll also be performing with the lady supergroup Onesies. And for those of you who don't know the Onesies, they're a group of amazing improvisers, including some of our past podcast guests, like Jamie Moyer, yeah, from Modern Family and Parks and Rec, or Celeste Picoche from Second City or Work in Progress. And also Stephanie Courtney, who's a Groundlings alum and also Flo from Progressive TV commercials. So if you are in Chicago, March 25th, I'm going to be there. Want to meet there for a little firecracker high five? I can't wait. I mean, gosh, those women are extraordinarily funny in their own right. And I can't wait to see them as a group. The onesies also love the name. Who wouldn't? Now for the latest Susan Messing updates, follow her on Twitter at MessingSusan or on Instagram at SusanAliceMessing. Speaking of funny women, I have to let you know a little secret, and we don't often do this, but I was so excited because we have Martha Chavez coming up next week. So that's it. Let us know what resonated with you in this episode by dropping us a comment on our Instagram or tweet at us on Twitter at FirecrackerDEPT, or you know, you could leave us a review on our Apple podcast page, or you could send me an email. We answer everything. All the emails, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com eventually come to me and I would love to hear from you. Now to see what we have going on, don't forget we've got that bright shiny new event calendar on our website firecrackerdepartment.com and if you haven't already, subscribe to our newsletter to get the inside track on all the upcoming events like writing bursts, mentorship workshops, wellness mini moments, script reading series, the monthly blog posts, oh my gosh, podcast guests, there's so much and it's all there on our website firecrackerdepartment.com, go check it out. Thanks for joining me today. It sure is good to have this community together. And I would love, as I said at the beginning, please share what you're working on and know that your art is going to inspire somebody else to take their creative action. So put it on out there. Thanks for joining me. I'm Naomi Sneekus. I'll see you next time on the Firecrack Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music, and thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. Bye.